Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com easter24. Welcome to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders like ourselves who are actively seeking to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host. My name is Oliver Hersey. And today we're joined by, again, Bill Search, who's going to help us explore what the word discipleship means. Bill, how are you doing today? It's good to be back. Thank you. Bill, this podcast uh, that you're going to be a regular guest on is called Transforming Discipleship. And the word discipleship, it can be a challenging word for people. It's slippery, a bit elusive, and sometimes it can end up just being used as maybe a catch-all term. So I think before we even begin talking about processes for discipleship, we've got to have a discussion about what this word means. What is discipleship? And Bill, I'd love to get your perspective on this. How do you understand and define discipleship? Well, I think that that is exactly where we have to start with this, because so many people, when they hear the D word, discipleship, they get scared off. Or I've heard pastors of churches tell me, well, I've never been discipled. And I think, now that's funny, because they're leading a ministry, they love the Lord, they're growing in their faith, and they have some idea of what discipleship is, and apparently they feel like they've missed it. And really the problem goes back about 1,600 years ago. Uh, A guy named Jerome, a saint in the church, one of the early church fathers, translates the entirety of the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, and it's called the Vulgate. And when he does so, the word discipleus is used. When we read in our English today, we see the word disciple. But the word discipleus in Latin was the word that was used to translate the Greek word methetes. So wherever in the Greek language methetes was used, go into all the world and make methetes in Matthew 28, wherever that methetes showed up, discipleus was used. So mm. when in English, Bible was suggested and initially translated, rather than in Greek, take that methetes word and go, what does that word mean in English? Let's just use the English equivalent. They didn't. They did what's called transliteration. They took a word in one language and they transliterated yep. it into a new language. That's really helpful. Just take a minute here. I think that what you just said is extremely helpful. So what you're saying is the word discipleship, that's not in our English Bibles, and it wasn't actually a word used in the Greek or the Hebrew manuscripts either. We get that word from the Latin Vulgate translated by a guy named Jerome. That's right. When he was translating the Greek, used the word disciples, and then that we have transliterated that over into the English language. I mean, that's important, I think, for people just to pause and think about for a minute as we think about this term. That, keep keep going, though. That's exactly right. And it's not that disciples is a bad word. It's a terrific word in Latin. And if you spoke Latin, you'd know what disciples means because you would you would understand the definition of it. So let's go back to the original language. In Greek, methetes, it just means a learner, a student, a follower, a pupil. No more, no less. 
Do you know what the Hebrew word is? Go ahead and tell us. I think it's Talmud. I got I to gotta throw the Hebrew out there too, but yeah, keep going. The methetes is the student, pupil, or learner. Yeah, it is not a sophisticated idea. It's actually a very simple idea. My son is an eighth grade disciple at his school. In other words, he's an eighth grade student at his school. I have two daughters in college. They're disciples at their college. In other words, they're students, they're learners. But when we use the D word, the disciple word, now we have this heavy connotation. We picture people in monks' robes chanting. They don't sin. They do, you know, they do sacred things all the time. They have the entire Bible memorized. That's a disciple. That was never what a disciple was. In fact, if we remember Jews, Judas was a disciple, just right. not, evidently he wasn't a very good one. <laughs> you could be a disciple and be a good one. You could be a disciple and be a not so good one. You could be a mediocre disciple. You could be a C average disciple, or you could be disciple valedictorian. So mm. to be a disciple in itself isn't a descriptor of the quality of a person. All it is, is it's saying they have decided that they are going to be the follower or the student of a particular master. So a Christian, a Christian is one who is a student of who? Of Jesus. Jesus. Absolutely. The way of Jesus. Yep. That's it. So it's not sophisticated and it's quite simple. And here's the good news. It means that it doesn't matter what, uh, you could be Mensa level genius, or you could be barely able to write your own name and you can still be a disciple. You could uh, be a high powered attorney, or you could be uh, forever unemployed and still be a disciple. It doesn't, it, it isn't a description of intellectual capability. What it says is there's movement in the life of a person. They are making progress. They are making movement. They have made a decision that they want to yield whatever, you know, their intellectual property, their their spiritual lives to another. And in our setting, of course, in our context, is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, of course, the commendation the Apostle Paul gives us is to be a faithful disciple. Sure. To be, and to have in endurance in your walk with Christ. The Apostle John says those who say that they love Jesus should walk as Jesus walked. And so this whole idea is one of, of movement, of a continual growth and development, but it isn't one of arrival. And it certainly isn't, um, it, it isn't descriptive of, of um, high and lauded concepts. So I cringe when I see people going, hey, we have this discipleship program. And you have to read 17 books and memorize the epistle of James as well as Romans. And you have to, you know, dress a particular way in order to be a disciple. And at the end of it, you get an award or commendation. And now you have graduated from the discipleship. Stuff. Jesus wasn't doing that with Peter and James and no. John. He didn't give them 17 no. books. <laughs> no. And, when, you know, and I, I never came into contact with this idea until maybe 10, 12 years ago. And it was, yeah. it was an absolute transformative thing in my life when I realized all this time I have been operating from this false idea that a disciple is like a Navy SEAL of spiritual stuff. So I think it would really help us in our in our language. It would really help us to get away from the idea that there are different levels. Like there's an entry-level Christian and then there's a disciple. Well, if you're an entry-level Christian, you're a disciple. I think that's really helpful to put things in that framework. If you are putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. 
period. And I think this discussion around the word discipleship and disciple, I think this is an important discussion. And for the leaders listening right now and tuning in, the chances are you have people in the groups that you're pastoring and ministering to where this is a foreign alien word that does not have any teeth to it or or sensibility. And I think it's important. And people may also, even like what you said, Bill, they may have the feelings you had several years ago where it was like this daunting, like to be a disciple, you have to, you, you've graduated. I think it's important for the leaders to pay attention to this because I think there are people all around us that need that kind of explanation that you just gave us that helps put things in context, put things in the right framework for us to understand. This isn't a scary word. We're all disciples. We're disciples of a lot of things. And if you call yourself a Christian and you've put your faith in Jesus, then you're a disciple of Jesus. So I guess the question I want to ask you, and you're touching on a little bit, is what does it involve? Uh, What does it mean for me to be a disciple of Jesus? How do I learn from Jesus? You know, there's some churches that that I've heard this, I've seen it in so many different churches. I don't know who came up with it first, but I've just seen it in many, many churches. And and it's a really good question, which is, what is your next spiritual step? So if you think of, of your faith as a journey that you're on, that everybody has a next spiritual step. If you're the senior pastor of the church, you have a next spiritual step. If you are brand new to Christianity, you have a next spiritual step. Everybody has a next spiritual step. So what is it? And so the question of even a small group or a community can help one another in the community with is, is something as simple as asking each member, what is your next spiritual step? Because everyone has one. One person's next spiritual step might be, to start reading the Bible from time to time, because they don't ever read it at all. Some people, their next spiritual step might be memorizing scripture, or their next spiritual step might be giving, or their next spiritual step might be regular tithing, or their next their next spiritual step could be not swearing in the small group. Uh, you know, everybody has— I like that you call them in the small group— <laughs> Well, that was that was one of the small groups I led. Is it? It took a while. I'm working on that one, Bill. Right now, that's the one I'm working it, on. You know what? If you know, what? I personally enjoy it yeah. when I have someone in my small group that doesn't yep. even know that most people don't swear in church small groups. I love it. But when they realize, hey, my next spiritual step is is not swearing in the small group, and then yeah. eventually, maybe maybe my next spiritual step is yielding my entire vocabulary to the Lord. Yeah. But everybody has that. And that, that to me is an exciting way of, of, of um, framing that because everybody can think in terms of what is good, what, what's the next thing for me. And that way, the person who's mature and down the road, they, uh, they, in fact, the more mature you are, the more likely you are to see all the areas you want to grow in. And so that, to me, is how we frame the whole idea. Rather than look at it as a core curriculum right. or, a, or a, a program or a process, but we actually look and, and frame it around the idea of what does God have to challenge me with next. And the next thing is always intricately related to and tied into growth, growing and being stretched 
as a person and, and innovating ourselves and transforming ourselves. And there is no, and, and what, what looks one way for you, Bill, might look different for, for her or for him or for myself, because you and I and, and everyone around us are different. And I think that's just, we got to hang on to that. And I love the question you're challenging us with what's next. And, and then all of a sudden it becomes a conversation between me and the Lord. It, it's, it involves a little bit of intimacy between Jesus and I in terms of, Lord, I'm yours. I'm your son. What's next? You've grown me this much. Now what? So I like that. I, I guess I want to ask you, Bill, you're a guru on the small groups. You've lived it. We talked about it in the last episode. You shared with us a little bit of your own experience with it. How do you see the role of a small group or me participating in one in relation to discipleship? And I guess maybe you'd want to bring in what you just were talking about in terms of what's next into that conversation about small groups as well in terms of which small group should I be in? When is it time to graduate from a small group, maybe and move into a different type of small group? You know, the uh, the beauty of a community is that people can see us sometimes better than we can see ourselves. So even even that idea of what's my next spiritual step, I might set a very low bar. I've been married now almost 24 years. And just about the time where I want to set a low bar for myself, my wife will correct that behavior and suggest a higher bar I should set for myself. That's the beauty of marriage when it's healthy and both people love the Lord as they can, as the writer of Hebrews said, they can spur one another on to love and good deeds. But the same is true in a community where people really know each other and care for each other is the, the truly vulnerable community might say, uh, hey, what do you all see in my life that could change this year? Now, that that's not an invitation to be picked on, but it's uh, it happens in a very trusting community. I, I see that happen. I've been part of some different men's groups, for instance, and I've had uh, through the years the opportunity to challenge other men as well as be challenged by other men. And so there can be special group meetings where you talk about the spiritual goals that you have for yourself, and then you can share those spiritual goals. And if you want to take it one step further, you could even open it up to other people to speak into and say, what do you all think? This is where where I would like to grow this year spiritually. If you all knew that I wouldn't be defensive, what would you say should be my spiritual goal for the year? And of course, you can only ask that in a community of really high, high trust, as well as where people really know each other. Because if you're a new group or don't know each other very well, there won't be much of an answer to that. However, in a real genuine community, that can be very rich and very fruitful, because then this is part of that spurring one another on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like I like that metaphor in Hebrews, because that writer of Hebrews understood that equestrian metaphor, the spurs on the heels of a rider. I used to teach horsemanship, and so I taught elementary school kids how to ride horses. This is way, way, way back in college days. Okay. And and uh, one of the things we'd never give those young riders is spurs, because a horse is not very motivated when a child's on its back sure. to do sure. anything that child wants. But if you poke the side of that horse, that horse will move. Get going. And even an old uh, old nag of a horse that doesn't have much life left in it, if, you, if you're wearing spurs, you can inspire that horse to find gears it hasn't found in a long, long time. We're the same way. That's why that metaphor is there. You get poked by somebody and it says, you know what, I've noticed 
your attitude has been very critical. Is that the kind of person you want to be? And of course, very few people will say, you know what? I really enjoy being critical. That's yeah, one right. of my, I'm so glad you picked up on that. I'm, I'm sending out the right signals. <laughs> no, most people, unless they're a nah. news commentator, yeah. most people will go, oh gosh, yeah, I, I, I know I shouldn't, I wish I wasn't like that. And then the next question is, how can I help you? You know, yeah. how can, how can this community help you? Now, this again requires a community that really trusts each other and has great care for one another. And has but, a fluidity to itself that can have that kind of yep. space to ebb and flow and take yep. different di- directions. Yeah, that's right. And you you brought up something else, too, which is when's it time to leave that group? Because sometimes you find yourself in a group and you go like, this is uh, truthfully told, not going to go anywhere. And right. uh, time's a wasting and I want to grow in my faith. And it's not because you are critical of other people in the group, but you realize, hey, this group's purpose and what it can accomplish isn't what I need. And so you extract yourself from that group and either join a different group or start another group with the express purpose of trying to go somewhere deeper in your life. And it ties into what you were talking about earlier in terms of what's next. I think the more that we're in tune with ourselves in the discipleship process and the more we allow God to search us and and reveal to us some of the things that might need to be next. And I liked how you suggest that the role of the small group can sometimes, God can use that to speak to us about what's next. The more we're in tune with that and we realize that the group we're in currently doesn't have the capability to provide what's next, that's when it's time perhaps to, like you said, start a new one or join a new one. And there's no shame in that. I think, and I, and as leaders of these ministries who are tuning into this, we have to let the people in our groups have the freedom to allow God to move them to another place. And so your group gets one or two people smaller, or maybe it splits in half. That's okay. You've done your job. You've helped create a space where people can ask those questions, do that internal reflection, meet with Jesus and move to the next level. And as a leader, now you're looking to see how can I fill some of these new spots and join with Jesus to bring more transformation into lives. We have to wrap our time up, Bill. As you have been talking, the thought has been just resounding in my mind. I think I'm taking away from this conversation right now, what's next for me in the discipleship process? And as I take that away, and as I ask God, what looks, what might be next for me, what can the small group of guys I meet with help how can they inform me about perhaps what's next? I don't know how you'd want to nuance that. Would you want to add anything to that, Bill, and perhaps spin it a different way for us? I think you're on the right track there. You, In your community, you can express to the people that you're in a community with, here's, here's what I would like to see God do in my life this year. This is what I think is my next step. Or if you're at a, a more trusting place to turn it upon your friends and say, okay, if you were to challenge me, you know me well, and you know what I'm capable of, and you know my peculiarities, what would you, what do you think God could do in my life this year if I'm willing to surrender more of myself to Him? And just let some people speak that into you. It will be a scary, scary moment, but there's some good fruit on the other side of that. 
That's, that's really good, Bill. It has really been a pleasure, and we appreciate your insights here as it concerns discipleship, both what the term means. I mean, you shared with us such brilliant insight in, in the D word, and also um, how we can go about entering into the process. So we also want to thank the ministry leaders out there for, for tuning into this episode of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast. It's a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. You can visit the website, smallgroups.com, to order books, Bible studies, training tools, as you seek to continue building your small group ministry. So until next time, have a great and wonderful day.